today, we're looking at race issues, and we've invited our friend Israel to come. I'd like him to bring the family first. Israel Ofenjana has preached here a couple of times in the past. Uh, for the last five years, he's been minister at Woolwich Central Baptist Church. And uh, we do this kind of profile thing, just asking people a bit about themselves. So I thought I'd do that with Israel and family. This is Yanu and Lucy. Uh, yeah, give them a big round of applause. So Israel, you were born in Nigeria. What brought you over to the UK? Um, so uh, I came to the UK 2004. And the reason was I came to further my theological education uh, to do a master's in theology. Uh, but around the same time, I was planning to come um, my church leadership, Pentecostal Church back in Nigeria, uh, felt they were also sending me as a pastor, as a missionary to the UK to plant a church. Um, so those were the reasons why I came. Uh, but I didn't end up planting that church. Uh, because I felt if I planted that church, it would be a Nigerian church. And I felt that defeats the whole point of uh, coming as a missionary from a different place. If I want a Nigerian church, I must well stay in Nigeria. So I felt I wanted to do something different. So decided to leave that church plant and then went into a Baptist church, which is Crofton Park Baptist Church in, uh, in Brockley area. So that's why uh, I came to the UK. Okay. And Lucy, how did you meet? Israel, how did you get together? Um, so I was at Crofton Park Baptist Church, um, having grown up um, there, and this young man came. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think it sounds corny, but I think his Bible knowledge and stuff kind of, that's my first kind of um, way we kind of got to know each other. I'd kind of te- he was kind of my phone a friend, like ask questions and things. Um, and yeah, it grew from there. So we've been married 12 years, um, and Ianu's 18 months. And what work have you been doing the last few years? So before having Ianu, I was a program manager at the Evangelical Alliance. Um, so we set up the Great Commission.co.uk website, encouraging people to share their faith. And there's lots of video testimonies on there. Um, and also involved in the One People Commission to do with kind of unity across different ethnicities. Um, and now I work for Churches Together in England as their comms and media manager part-time. So. And just wanted to say the names of your son, why you chose those names, any meanings? Um, so, Iyanu means God's miracle in my language. And the reason why we gave him that name is... Uh, it took a while before we had a child, and also when we had the child, the process that Lucy went through, uh, just to put the long story short, the, the baby was in the wrong direction, and so we went from being safe delivery to an emergency cesarean operation, uh, and you know, it was very, not very easy. The cord was around his neck. Uh, we didn't know that at the time. Um, so I, I kind of remember in the hospital, God saying to me, this is why I said you should call him Iyanu Olua, which means God's miracle. His other names is Ezra, and my mom has called him Moses because she thinks he's a prophet. So there you go. So those are his other names. <laughs> Thank you. 
It's good to be here, I must say. And uh, when Nigel called, we were talking on the phone. I was actually trying to get Nigel to come and preach in our church. And he couldn't make the date. And then he sort of switched it around and said, we would like you to come to preach at Forest Steel. So I said, okay. Uh, and I asked the topic and he said, uh, we, we, want to talk, we want you to talk about race. And at that stage, my heart was racing, really. Because I thought... That is such a huge topic, and uh, I must also say a very difficult one uh, in a lot of respect, because there are different angles you can approach that kind of subject uh, in that sense. But let's just pray as we start. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for today. Thank you for Forest Hill Community Church. Thank you for the things that you are doing here. Thank you for the families represented here. Thank you for God's people. And uh, we pray that you continue to bless the ministry here, Nigel, and the leadership. And uh, Father, we pray that as we look at this important subject, I ask and pray that you speak to us, Lord, by your spirit. That, Lord, you will help us to discern what you are saying to the church. And, uh, Lord, that as you also challenge us through this, uh, help us to see your kingdom come in our midst. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. So, it's, a, it's an interesting subject and one that I do speak around uh, and lecture about as well in universities and Bible colleges. So, it's something that I'm very familiar with uh, in that respect. But we have to also acknowledge that this topic is coming at an important time uh, because this month is Black History Month. So, that, you know, the spirit couldn't have moved any other way in that sense. Uh, it's Black History Month, so it's appropriate to look at subjects like this. So we're going to do a bit of black history uh, in this preaching, uh, j- just to let you know some of the things we'll be looking at. But I want to start with some biblical reflections, and Nigel read some of the passages I want to look at, Acts chapter 6. Well, I want to read another one, which is in the Old Testament, and that is Second Kings chapter 5. Second Kings chapter 5. This is the story of Naaman, the Syrian commander. I'm going to read from verse 1 to 19, if you don't mind. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier but he had leprosy. Now bands from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Verse 7. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. 
When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message, Why have you torn your robes? Make the man come to me, and he will know that there is a a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him to say, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hands, and wave his hand, the spot came of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Fapa, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of moose can carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimon to bow down and is leaning on my arm, and I bow there also. When I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha said. Amen. Um, so this passage and Acts of the Apostles have something in common, which touches on the subject we are looking at this morning. And that is here we see different nations encountering each other through individuals, through people. In the Old Testament here we see Naaman, a Syrian commander, through uh, his military prowess and everything. He was very celebrated, but there was an issue. And that issue caused him to encounter, one, uh, a slave girl from Israel, and secondly, a prophet from Israel. In the Acts of the Apostles, as the church was growing, there were two distinct group of people in the church. Uh, the Bible describes them as uh, Jewish, uh, you know, Hebraic Jews and Hellenistic Jews. What that simply means is that Hellenistic Jews are those Jews who were born outside Israel, the land of Israel. They were people who were born in what you might call the diaspora. They were born in places like Egypt, some part of the Greek Empire, some part of the Roman Empire. So there were people who were born outside Israel, or you know, uh, as the land was. The Hebraic Jews, on the other hand, they were Jews who were born in the land of Israel. They were people who grew up, who understand uh, the land and some of the issues that were going on with other nations. So two distinct group of people, yet one sort of common identity. They were both Jews, but different kind of Jews. And the Bible recalls that the ones that were diasporas, that is the ones that were Hellenistic, who have adopted the Greek culture and language, felt neglected. They felt 
overlooked, which is kind of interesting. Another translations, uh, other translations put it that they were overlooked or marginalized. So the Hellenistic Jews felt marginalized, even though the church was predominantly Jewish, but they still felt uh, overlooked. And so the apostles came up and said, well, this is what we are going to do, you know. Uh, it's not right for us to focus too much on this attention because ministry is growing. We need to focus priority on other things. But select from among you people uh, who can do this. It's also interesting the uh, people they selected uh, and their names. But we will come to that uh, because it's important. But here in these two passages, we see encounters. So I'm I'm calling this message encounters. You know, different nations encountering each other. Different nationalities, different people encountering each other. And our history has been like that. Different cultures, different people we we have encountered each other over the years. But coming back to the word race, where did it actually come from? What's the origin of that idea or idea of race and stuff? It seems to me that when you look at the Bible, God created one human race. God created one human race. We are all human beings. And God created every one of us in his image. God didn't create black, white. Not the way we at least see it today. God created one human race, but sets us in different places. I mean, Paul says in Acts chapter 17 that God puts us in different places. He puts us in different nations. He puts us in different geographical places. Paul says that so that we can come to him in different places. God created one human race, but yet with certain distinctions, with certain understanding, with different places, different nationalities, tribes emerging from that. But the idea of races and racism, that was in God's creation. God created one human race. But the idea of races and racism, that was in God's idea. The idea of races emerged during a period called the Enlightenment. Some of you might be familiar with it. It was called, another name people call it, is the Age of Reason. It was at a particular time when Europe was at the height of its power as an empire, different empires. And around that period, there were sort of a lot of reasoning, a lot of thinking, a lot of clever people. But also, part of that period, there were a lot of navigators, a lot of travelers who were going around the world, explorers. So you had Portuguese explorers, you had Spanish explorers, traveling around the whole world. And as people began to travel from Europe to different parts of the world, they encountered different people who were different from them. And so the question of how do you define the other came up. How do you define the other from us, us and them? Does that sound like the conversations we're having today about Brexit? It's not new. The question arose as Europeans traveled to Africa and met people who were very different from them. 
as they travel to Australia, as they travel to Asia. But sadly, as these questions were being asked, and also because the people who were traveling were coming from a supposed superior culture, the idea of races emerged, the idea of black, white, the idea of this person, brown person, yellow person, that emerged during that period. But that was not the only thing that emerged. If that was just the only thing, I mean, that's not necessarily a bad thing, making a distinction in that sense. But it went further than that. Added to this idea was an idea of racial superiority that emerged during this period. And so you have different race theories that says, if you are white, you are Caucasian, you are at the top of the ladder. If you are black, and Jews, you are at the bottom of the ladder. Scientists even came up with facts to prove this. Well, not science, not real science. There are pseudosciences, anthropologists, uh, other things. People came up with different ideas. So, for example, uh, one of the things that was said is that when you look at Africans the way they are, it was said that Africans resemble monkeys or chimpanzees and things like that. These were the kind of science that came up in those days. Now, that sounds ridiculous to you and I today, but there's a conversation going on today about football, isn't it? If you are into football, there is a conversation going on about racism in the football. Why? Because at times when black players are playing, what happened? People chant sound of monkeys. Where do you think it came from? It came from those ideas. And so when we talk about the issue of race and racism, it has a history. It has a particular time that these ideas sort of emerged. And the idea of racial superiority dominated our world. There is something called the slave trade. I believe some of you will be familiar with that. That started around 1450s. The first slaves were transported from West Africa to Europe as a trade between Europeans and Africans. But that didn't end there. Someone made a discovery, someone by the name of Christopher Columbus. He made a discovery, uh, you know, discovery in the sense that as if those people were not there before. There were large empires that were in Africa before uh, Christopher Columbus discovered whatever he discovered, uh, as it is, uh, in that sense. He discovered the Americas, what we now know today as North America and Central America, and the Caribbean. And as he made that discovery, as slaves were being transported from Europe, I mean from Africa to Europe, in exchange for certain goods, something developed. They felt like, okay, there were, we need plantations. There is sugar plantation, there is tobacco and stuff in the West Indies, in the Caribbean, and uh, in North America. And so, slave. Goods were taken from Europe to Africa to get slaves. And then slaves were taken from Africa to what we now know today as the Caribbean, North America, and Central America. And then from there, the slaves were exchanged for sugar, tobacco, and all the other products. And those things were taken back to Europe. So it's called the triangular trade because Europe to Africa... Africa to 
uh, West Indies, what was called West Indies Caribbean, North America Central, and then back to Europe. The triangular trade. And that started a whole period in history that things just went wrong. I mean, between, let me just give you some stats. Between 1450 and 1850, 10 million Africans. Now, I'm not talking of five. I'm not talking of 10. I'm not talking of 20. I'm not talking of 20,000. I'm not talking of 500,000. 10 million Africans were trafficked for four centuries. It's huge, isn't it? So what we know today as the Caribbean is a product of African slavery. Is a product of African slavery. 10 million people. How do you put that into perspective? How do you think about that and not get angry? That's why at times you might have come across some black people who are very angry. Or you might have come across some of the young people who are into gun and knife crime. Part of it is understanding this history and how you process it. And what do you do with it if you don't have Jesus? It's a question. And so that thing went on. It went on, you know, barbaric. The sad part of it is that the whole slavery, the way it worked is that when you become a slave, you are no longer human. You become a thing. You become a possession, someone's object. That's what you become. You are reduced to a less than human being. I don't want to tell you tales, you know, you can watch 12 Years of Slaves, I mean, you know, to understand some of the barbarity. In fact, just to put it out there, 12 Years of Slaves was putting it mildly. It was putting it in a polite language, if I may say. Some of the things that happen, we shouldn't even be repeating it. Terrible things to women, to children. And if you have a different color skin, if you are black, but you are a lighter skinned black person, it's a different treatment from if your skin is really, really dark. And those are issues we still have today. Because today we have black young girls who want to change the color of their skin to be lighter. But it goes back to that period as well. Why? Because in those days, if you have a light skin, you become a slave inside the house. If your skin is darker, you are in the plantation. In essence, lighter skin is better than darker skin. That's what that is saying. And so these are issues that are still with us today in that sense. That was in the case of African situation. Slavery, transatlantic slavery was ended in 1807, but slavery continued till around 1834, thereabout. It continued longer than that uh, in that sense. And when it ended in 1834, there was something called the Emancipation Act. Someone puts it this way this week. He said the Emancipation Act is the most racist thing that has ever happened. And some of us were thinking, why would she say that? And she went on to explain. Because you would have thought bringing an end to slavery is a good thing, isn't it? Ending it, 1834, Emancipation Act. You can no longer have slaves. But in order for that to happen, do you know what actually happened? The slave owners were compensated. They were given money. 
Because they were losing business. And so, if you are losing business, as far as insurance policy were concerned, what do you do? You have to compensate. So, in order to have an Emancipation Act, the people who were slave owners were compensated. They were given money. They were given £20,000. The calculation in today is in billions. The slaves were not given anything. Their owners were given something. Race and racism. And when the slavery eventually ended, it was replaced with another idea. So it was so that, okay, maybe slavery wasn't good. It wasn't great. That wasn't a good way to trade with Africa. Let's do legitimate trade. And so the idea of legitimate trade was introduced through colonialism. The idea of, some might call it imperialism. The idea that we will rule over you directly or indirectly. And that happened in Africa. That happened in the Caribbean. That happened in Asia. That happened in Australia. Again, another guy discovered Australia. Someone called Captain Cook. 1788. And that led to the decimation of the aborigines in Australia. So when we look at world history, people ask today, why are there so many foreigners in the UK? It's very simple. UK went to the world. UK was in Africa, was in Asia, was in Australia, was in China, was everywhere. So if you want to know why people are coming back, it's that history. And I think the reason why I'm saying all this is this. If we don't understand this history, we won't understand certain problems we are facing today. We won't understand certain things that we are going through today. And we won't appreciate some of the things that are happening in our world today. Encounters the idea of these things going on. Colonialism went on for a while and later all the countries got emancipated. They were freed, as it were. But that left us with those history and everything I've just talked about, left us with the idea of racism, that a group of people are better than the other. And that is some of the evils and the things that we are dealing with today. But you might say, well, maybe that is history, but that history affects us today. Fast forward to 1940s. Caribbeans were invited, right? People from the Caribbean after Second World War to build UK. Obviously, some people disputed that and they didn't want that to happen. So many Caribbeans came. Many of them had British passports. Because there was a Nationality Act in 1948 that proclaimed that if you are subject from the Commonwealth, you are all British citizens, whether white or black. So Caribbeans came with the idea that they are part of the Commonwealth and British, in, uh, British citizenship. But when they came... They soon experienced that the commonwealth, that the wealth was not actually common. With posters saying, no Irish, no blacks, no dogs. No Irish, no blacks, no dogs. This is what landlords and ladies were putting on their doors. So accommodation was difficult. Getting into schools was tricky. Going to church was tricky. Because vicar will stay at the end of the church and say, maybe you should go to that black church that is there. Maybe you shouldn't come back next week. This happened in the 40s, right through the 60s. And if you think, oh, maybe that's still 60s, 
We had the Windrush scandal last year, wasn't it? Where people who have been here for a while were questioned about their citizenship and all that kind of stuff. So racism is with us. At times people ask the question, are we post-racial? Nah. I don't think we are post-racial. No, we are not. It is a delusion to think we are post-racial. It is a delusion. We are not. Because our world has been shaped to think in particular ways. And until we understand our history and the frustration that that has caused for some people, you might not understand their story and their journey. What about the church? What is the role of the church in all this? When I look at scripture, when I look at Revelation chapter 7, John said, I looked and there were multitudes, nations, tribes, languages, worshipping together around the throne. And also you look at Revelation chapter 5, you see that Expression again, but around the worship of the Lamb. It seems to me that God, when he created one race, the human race, he, despite the fact that we have different physical features, you know, my nose is very different from Lucy's nose. It's, you know, mine is a bit flat. Lucy's nose is a bit pointed. But God created us in that way, isn't it? That's the beauty of God. God created diversity. God created diversity. God created us the way we look. And he wants us to appreciate each other. He wants us to recognize the distinctions, but not at the expense of exclusion. It's kind of like if I meet someone who is disabled. Everything about that person is not their disability, is it? No. That is a part of their identity, not their total identity. In the same way, I am African, I am black, but that is a part of my identity. That is not the sum total of who I am. There is so much more to me than just being black. And so when we meet people recognizing the distinctions, but yet not pressing it to the point of exclusion is very, very important. With the Brexit language, us and them, the language of migrants and us, who is in, who is out, and with the Nationalism, new nationalism rising across Europe. It seems to me that the church has a prophetic voice. And if we must have that prophetic voice, what it seems to me that we must do is model unity in diversity through a multi-ethnic, multicultural church. Like the one you have here. I can see different people. It's very important. Because... It's the church that has to show the world that racism is not right. That racial superiority is not right. And we have to model that not just only by representations in our churches, but with every visibility in our church. So it's possible to have a church where you have different people, different ethnicity. But when you look at the leadership, or you look at the people worshiping, and everything, people leading from the front. It's a different picture. If we must model something of integrity and of God's heart, we need that diversity to filter into all our structures, whether that is trustees, leadership, 
worship team, Sunday school, crash, every part of the church. It's kind of like an orange outside is an orange inside. There is no orange inside, apple outside. And so when we cut to the heart of our churches, what we see outside must be what we must also see inside. A reflection. And for churches in London, this is very important. Now, I understand if a church is in rural Wales, where there's not many people from different nationalities there, that would be a completely different picture. But our churches in London, it's very important that we build multi-ethnic, multicultural churches. But on a personal level, I want to ask you, who are your friends, the closest people to you? Who are the friends you have on social media? Are they PLUs? What I mean by PLUs is this, people like us. If all your friends are people like you, you need to rethink. Because if we're going to talk about this, it has to come to the personal level. Who are your friends? Do you have friends that are different from you? Or are all your friends, are they the same? Do you think the same way? Because if we're going to move from just a rhetoric to reality and speak about these things and be a champion for diversity, for ethnic diversity, we have to model it in our social network, in our conversation. What are the kind of conversations you get involved in on Facebook? What are the kind of conversations you get in on Twitter? These are very important. And in the workplace, when you see issues of racism, do you speak up or do you keep quiet? You don't want to cause trouble. These are things that are very important if we must challenge this. Because it seems to me that racism is a sin. And God does not want it. God does not like it. And you and I, we are the ambassadors that will challenge it in the workplace, wherever we find ourselves, with our neighbors and everything that is going on around us, especially with Brexit. Now, when I'm talking Brexit, I want you to understand, with all migration, I know it's very controversial. I'm not saying we should open the borders for every person they can to come in. That's not what I'm saying. I know that every nation has to have borders and has to have some form of control or it will be left to be abused. But what I'm saying is, is that the way the language is going at the moment, it seems to me that oftentimes migrants are demonized sometimes. And I think we just need to check it because when you look at scripture, Old Testament, the Bible says you should care for the orphans, the widows, and the aliens. Who, is the, who are the aliens? The migrants. Ruth. Esther, Joseph, even Jesus was a migrant. Jesus was a migrant, was a refugee in Egypt when he was young. His parents had to take him for safety. And so it seems to me that it's very important. And after all, Peter and Paul describes us as sojourners on earth. They described us as aliens on earth. So anyone that is a Christian is actually a migrant. Why? Because this is not your home. Heaven is our home. God's kingdom is our home. So if all Christians are migrants, then it seems to me that we have to understand migrants. Because we understand the language from biblical passages. My challenge is that let us model unity in diversity with the way we speak, with the things that we do, with the conversations that we get involved in. And with the things that we do. Let us be a prophetic church. 
that speaks and challenges when there is racial inequality, when there is racism. Let us be that church. Let us speak against these things. It is my prayer that God will give us the wisdom, the spirit, and the boldness to be able to articulate and speak and represent very well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you because your kingdom, it's about nations, tribes, languages. That is what you have called us to be. And so, Lord, I pray that in everything that we do, we will try to model this in our friendships, social network, conversations, the kind of conversations we get involved in. Lord, help us not to be passive about this. Help us to be bold and to speak, to be prophetic, to have insight and to share. Father, give us the wisdom to know when to say things and when to hold back and how to say it, the language and the tone, all very important. And so, Lord, help us so that your name can be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll close with this. It's interesting that the seven people they appointed, they all had Greek names. Why do you think that is? The seven people that were appointed in Acts chapter 6, they all had Greek names. Check it again when you get home. The reason is because the people that felt marginalized were Hellenistic Jews. And so even though they said, choose wisely with wisdom, people who have the spirit of discernment, but they came up with seven people who had Greek names. In essence, they were intentional. We have to be intentional about these things. Thank you very much. Yes, happy to. This mic's on, please. Yeah. Thank you very much, Israel. You covered a lot of ground in a very short space of time. It's very humbling, I think, for a lot of us to, to hear that. I think uh, Israel would be willing to take a couple of questions now if you think there's a pertinent question you want to Shout one out, please do. Yep. Uh, Frank, first. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I know. I think there are some 40 translations that use aliens, I think. Okay. Thank you, Frank. Vincent? Perhaps you could repeat the question, Israel. So what my brother is asking is, as a nation collectively, how can we begin to bring about solutions to some of the things, the challenges of racism in the past? I think some of the solutions, I don't have all the solutions, but some of the things I've thought about is 
what kind of history has been taught in our schools? And I think this is very important because I think some of the way this history has been taught in schools, secondary school particularly or colleges, in my opinion, it's not balanced. I think at times the way it's been taught is that the British Empire was a force for good. And I think that needs to be put into perspective in the light of this history because some of these things came out of empire. And I think that there is the need to put this history into perspective. Okay, so for, again, for example, when we talk about the abolition of the slave trade, oftentimes what is being taught is that William Wilberforce ended the slave trade. But it wasn't only just William Wilberforce, is it? There were a lot of ex-African slaves, Olaude Ekwano from Nigeria, uh, Otoba Kogwano from Ghana, Ignatius Sanchos, who were born, born on a slave ship. These were people who worked with William Wilberforce uh, in his campaign. Most of them died before 1807. But these are the other champions. In essence, what am I saying? When we're talking about this history, we need to balance it uh, in the sense that we need to look at the good side and the bad side. We, we need to look at it objectively uh, in the curriculum, in what we teach. Uh, so I think that, that is very important. And also the kind of programs that is on you know, media, the kind of documentaries, what, what are they looking at? I think Channel 4 is doing very well. They've done some documentaries about empire. Those kind of things help to sort of arouse our consciousness to these things uh, in that sense. So I think... These are just some few examples of what collectively as a nation uh, that we can do uh, to help us understand uh, some of this history. I don't know whether that helps okay, thank answer you. some. Thank you, Israel. Martha from Columbia would just like to share. Perhaps you could give her the mic, Israel. She just wants to share something of her experience. Um, yeah. Um, I remember when I came to England... Um, I didn't come with any agenda or anything. I just came to study English. But I came to Spain, through Spain. And I remember with immigration, they were really not very nice because I was Colombian. Uh, the Colombian, we had a lot of problems with drugs in those days, more than now. <laughs> and um, I remember feeling so upset. And I couldn't understand my anger. It was like all the whole slavery how they went into Colombia and they rob us, kill our people. And, and I was thinking, you know, you come to my country, you do all that. And I cannot come here just as a tourist and you treated me like that. I was so upset. Anyway, I then I ended up living in England and um, I became a Christian here. And then Nigel asked me to help to translate for a group of people who were organizing a walk they called the chuckles, wasn't it? And they, they prayed through the different countries, walking with chuckles, and they were praying, asking for forgiveness about that. And I had to do some of the translation when they were through Spain, uh, because they were going to go through Spain, so I helped them to do that. And I remember the Lord saying to me, you need to ask for forgiveness, because Although I have to recognize there were so many years, I have to tell myself if it's a different generation, they don't even know about what went on in Colombia. They don't even know how we feel. They didn't know how I felt. 
And I have to ask the Lord, do you know what, Lord? I forgive them. Because I think we all carry chuckles. In our generations, and for our children, um, and we need to break them personally. We need to ask for forgiveness to whatever has been involved in your generation, in you, yeah, in our countries. So I just encourage people to do that, to do that personally, to set you free, to move forward on the anger and whatever went on. Israel, you got a book of yours there? Yeah. Do you want to yeah. mention that? Um, I just, if, just for further reading, if people are interested, I've written some books which touches on some of the things I've shared. Uh, my first book, which actually Nigel came to the launch of it at Crofton Park, it's called Reverse in Ministry and Missions, Africans in the Dark Continent of Europe. It's a bit, uh, I'm trying to say something there, so don't judge the book by its cover. So. And... Uh, the other one is called Turning the Tables on Mission, and this is just looking at the story of mission, the history of mission from a different perspective. It's looking at Africans, Asians, Latin Americans, and Caribbeans who, are, who have come and are doing mission in the UK and what they are doing. Uh, so again, this is another book I've written. But here is a friend's book who I will also recommend. Some of you might know him, Ben Lindsay. He's he preached here. He's preached here, yeah. yeah. Ben has written a book which touches on some of the things I've shared here. We need to talk about race, understanding the black experience in white majority churches. So uh, just three books to recommend. If you're interested in my books, I've got some copies here, so you can see me after the service. And uh, thank you for... Can I just applaud your boldness for talking about this, you know, climate change, mental health, and other things? I think you are a very bold and brave church, and I just want to celebrate that, because I think not many churches do this. So I would say you are doing great. Uh, Be encouraged. The fact that you want to talk about these things tells me you are interested. A lot of churches would not talk about it and would not want to talk about it, so I celebrate and applaud your courage and your boldness, and thank you for giving me the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you, Israel. There's uh, a number of other questions, but we haven't got time. I think it'd be great to close with the song. Is that okay, Sam? Just be in God's presence together. I'll just pray again briefly. Uh, Sorry there wasn't time for more questions, but uh, Israel uh, will stay here over coffee time. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you'll help us today. For those of us that feel humbled or ashamed to be associated with things that have happened recently or in past years that have been such a disgrace to your name. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness and for those that feel marginalized, feel an anger, feel an upset, we ask for your help and your healing. Thank you, Lord. Let's stand together.